Single people get lonely eventually. I'm telling you, you'll regret this later. Monogamy? It's a myth, man. You will always be a hopeless romantic. Divorce? Are you crazy? You know how badly our kids will be affected. Relationships. The one constant that we all have in our lives right from birth to death. They come in the form of friends, parents, lovers, children, colleagues and honestly stop to think about it. Every single day in our lives is filled with these relationships. But when it comes specifically to romantic relationships in the modern world, I think we can all admit that all is not well at the moment. Today's guest is renowned existential psychotherapist and relationship psychologist Shorya Gehlawat. She has dedicated her entire career to helping individuals and couples navigate the complexities of love and build strong, healthy and lasting foundations. In this episode, we explore the modern world of love and dating, what it takes to build fulfilling connections, the impact of toxicity in this aspect of our lives and the need for self-awareness. You can find her nuggets of wisdom on Instagram at Therapy with Shorya. Whether you're single, in a partnership, or simply curious about human connection, come and get ready with us for a one-on-one with Shorya Gehlawat. Hi Shorya, welcome to Slow Down with Astha. Hi Astha, thank you so much for having me. I am really looking forward to this conversation because um, I think throughout my journey. I've been through I've been to various people in the mental wellness space right from coaches to hypnotherapists to life coaches but I've never had to go to a relationship coach and um you define yourself as someone who is an existential psychotherapist as well as a relationship coach which is a very unique combination and I usually begin by requesting my guests to tell uh, the listeners what brought them into this career choice but before that I really want you to explain this term of existential psychotherapy because it's very new to me and how is it different from traditional psychotherapy So existential psychotherapy is actually a form of traditional psychotherapy mm-hmm. um let's just say there are five different ways of reaching destination B from point A existential mm-hmm. psychotherapy is just one of those many five ways or 500 ways that can take you So let's say there are 500 different schools of psychotherapy existential psychotherapy is one of them mm-hmm. how it's very different is because it's one of um, the different schools of psychotherapy that originates from a school of philosophy which was existentialism or existential philosophy mm-hmm. and it's also a little different because it kind of blends three very important concepts of freedom choice and responsibility starting from as human beings we're so scaringly free that we are allowed to do whatever we want to we are allowed to feel whatever we want to and we are allowed to be with whoever we want to that's the amount of freedom that we're actually thrown into this world in mm-hmm. but the choices that we make which is the second concept actually defines how we show up for ourselves with other people in this world and that we do with the third concept which is of responsibility so us as adults taking complete responsibility for ourselves and obviously ethically morally legally we're supposed to be responsible for the world and the society as the whole as well mm-hmm. so majorly existential psychotherapy focuses on these three large concepts and it comes in with a lot of um background from suffering a lot of suffering through the world wars a lot of suffering through nazi camps a lot of a uh, mental health origination because of how us as human race have suffered and what suffering has brought to us mm-hmm. so while we are suffering how can we still choose to exist how can we still choose to show up for ourselves in this world is a lot of what existential psychotherapy is about and how does this connect with relationship coaching so i've always very strongly believed that we live in this world through our relationships as social beings we cannot in fact we should not isolate ourselves we're meant to be in this world we're meant to be with other people and those other multiple forms of relationships also come in with these three pillars which is the freedom the choice and the responsibility so in my journey when i wanted to be a psychotherapist and i wanted to be a psychologist a counselor 
I realized that if my passion is relationships, because that, in my opinion, is the one of the most important forms of us showing up in the world. Mm-hmm. And if we're struggling with the relationship with ourselves or with someone else, the best way is to leverage that freedom, choice and responsibility to show up in a very genuine and authentic way in which we're convinced that, yes, I am completely myself. And with the other people with whom we choose to have a relationship or we're born with a relationship, we can also experience ourselves completely. So existential psychotherapy with relationship coaching for me is combined because you choose with your awareness and you take complete responsibility because no relationship between two or more people can be without your involvement we take a lot of part in the dynamics and the patterns that we play but if we take responsibility for our actions our behavior via maybe existentialism and self-awareness we can show up in our relationships more mindfully so then Shorya, in that case i think that's a really tricky balance to strike between being self-aware and sure of yourself and then showing up in your relationship accordingly But before I get into, you know, there's so many other aspects because I see, at least from my perspective, and I'm not a coach, I see people either being so terrified of being alone. And Mm -hmm. on the other end end of the spectrum, there's people who are constantly dating, like, you know, they just, I mean, what's the balance? And before I come to that, I actually want to ask you from your point of view at a very broad level, what is going wrong in general? with our relationships and be it marriage, be it your relationship with your parents, your friends, what's going wrong? A lot is going right also. But if I have to pick on what's going wrong, mm-hmm. there's so many things. I'm I'm going to first start with the understanding of relationships. We talk about knowing science and physics and math. We don't talk about knowing relationships. And someone needs to teach us. With millennials and even with Gen Z now, there's so much pressure. Shadi karlo, settle ho jao. So, wo pressure partner ka hai, par wo relationship seekhne ke liye. Everything that you need to know, you don't know. Hmm. So, the first is what does it mean to be in a relationship? What does it mean to have a relationship? And this is very separate for unique individuals. What, hmm. what is it for you will not be the same for your sibling or your friend. So the first, what's going wrong is what is a relationship? What does it mean to me? Why do I want a relationship? What sorts of relationships do I want? One is that. That education, that relationship education, that relational skill in itself is lacking. The second that I notice very often in my practice is impatience. Hmm. You can call it the influence of media. You can call it the influence of being between three or four generations. You can call it technology and social media and seven second reels. We're just bombarded so much that everything needs to be at the press of a button. Everything needs to be available at at a single click. So the impatience has risen so much that the process is not important anymore. Hmm. The process has become sidelined. It's the outcome. Do I have the tag of a relationship? Do I have a partner? Do I have a spouse? And that's about it. But the process of what does it mean for me to actually go out in the world, show up truly, look at other people the way they are, and then build a relationship, a healthy relationship, that process, everyone wants to skip. I want a partner today and tomorrow I should have a partner. This 24 hour does not happen in real life. So there's a lot of impatience. And the third, I would say, is a lot of fairy tale. So Mm. either Hollywood Christmas movie that at the airport you'll catch your partner and then you'll live happily ever after. So that balance of, no, I don't want extremes, but I want to understand and build a relationship in a healthy way, a lot being influenced by books and media. Healthy relationships are not like that. They're not even close to being like that. In their good days, they will be nice and kind to each other. Um, they will buy each other gifts, they will compliment each other, they might have sex, they might go meet family, but that's only for the good days. A lot of days are very neutral and some days are bad. Mm. So I feel like these three are most major reasons what I feel is going wrong. 
Shorya, so someone like me used to think of relationship coaching as something that I would probably go to or couples would go for if something is going wrong. Is that mm-hmm. true or not? Is it like now, for instance, you spoke about the importance of understanding why you want the relationship? What do you want from it? So is it something where, for instance, if I'm single and I feel like I want a partner in my life, that's also a correct time for me to come to a relationship coach like you and say, okay, I want to figure out myself a little more. How does relationship coaching work? So answering your first part first, which is do couples go into counseling when they feel something is wrong? Yes. And that is exactly what psychologists like me want to change. Mm -hmm. Research says that a couple would wait for up to seven years before going into counseling, which means that by the time we see a couple, they're at the brink of a breakup or a divorce. Mm. Whereas what we would like for is maybe even premarital coaching. Hmm. know yourself and know each other and then thirdly know the dynamic that comes when you both come together much before you get to the point Hmm. so can singles or can uh, dating couples or can anyone come into counseling coaching um, beforehand yes please and i would say definitely Hmm. even if you do not want to continue being in the relationship that you are in today The amount of self-awareness, self-confidence, the amount of self-identity building Mm. that can happen is so huge and so invaluable that the time that you invest, the energy that you invest, the logistics that you invest are um, absolutely worth it. Mm. Now, the third part, which is, uh, does it make sense? Does it make sense for you as a single to go into relationship coaching? The only difference probably that would be, would be that you would try to understand who you are, what your attachment levels are, um, maybe what your love language is, how you've seen marriages and relationships, maybe your parents and grandparents, the people around you, maybe your last relationships, your peer relationships, you're going to focus on the relationship aspect, the romantic relationship aspect of yours, but from a very um, third generation point of view. A lot of who we are, a lot of what we do is a lot of what we've seen in our childhood, especially uncles, aunts, if you're in a joint family, neighbors. It's very obvious that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of adults today, if they come in um, where their parents have had not such a good marriage, they would be more scared of a marriage. Yeah. So you can definitely come in as a single and that's recommended. Um just that we would probably then be focusing more on your individual patterns more than how it is with your partner in couples mm-hmm. counseling. Mm-hmm. So from my understanding, I've read about these things like attachment styles, love languages. Uh, I read one of your posts and became aware of something called an apology language, which is not something I had heard of. What exactly are these and how can one deal, for instance, if I have set a of let's say an attachment style or a love language like gestures let's see means the world to me but for my partner it's not gestures it's words that mean a lot if two people have completely different uh, love languages how can they make it work or is there no scope for it to eventually work out there's a lot of scope um and i would go to the extent of saying that please don't have the same love languages okay <laughs> and you don't want to be in a boring relationship um, if I go back to a very famous psychologist, um, Robert Sternberg, they developed a triangular uh, theory of love where they say that there are three pillars of a relationship. Um, there's intimacy, there's passion, and there's commitment. So intimacy will focus a lot on your emotional intimacy, how you talk to each other, are you there for each other on your hard days. Passion will focus on, oh, I really want to see them or I really want to hold them. Commitment will focus on, I want to be with this person irrespective. I commit to them mindfully. For all of these three, it's very important that um, the passion side does not die. And if you have the same love language, then there's nothing more for you to experience with each other. There's nothing interesting. There's nothing unpredictable, which also you need to some extent, not to the unhealthy extent. Hmm. Now coming to can two people with different love languages be together? Absolutely. And it can be a very, very beautiful relationship. What's important here is awareness. The awareness of number one, what is my love language? 
So love languages as a concept is by uh, Gary Chapman. Um, they've written a lot of books. They have a website. You can take the free quiz. They also talk of apology languages. But if I were to talk about the five love languages, there's words of affirmation, there's physical touch, there's receiving gifts, um, and there are more two love languages as well. But what differentiates these love languages is how do I like to be loved? How do I like to receive love? How do I like to feel that I'm being valued and being cared for? This person sitting in front of me, even if it's a parent and not a romantic interest, I understand that this person is trying to shower love to me or show love to me. Hmm. That is what these love languages will be about. Now, let's say if you have a love language of um, words of affirmation. Words of affirmation would mean that you would like to listen to um, Asta, you're special. Asta, I love you. Asta, uh, thank you for doing this. I'm so grateful. Hmm. Whereas your partner would say, my love language is acts of service. An hmm. act of service would be, I've had a hard day. I would love to have a warm cup of coffee when I come back. Hmm. An act of service would be, um, I really need to pick up my clothes from the dry cleaners. Maybe, you know, if on her wake, Asta can do it for me. Hmm. These two love languages can totally be done by two different people. If firstly you are aware, I like to feel love by words of affirmation. मुझे बता दीजिए कि मैं आपको special हूँ और आप मुझसे प्यार करते हैं. Your partner will say, मुझे तो इसी से special पता चल जाएगा if I see that you did something to help me or you went out of your way because I was really tired or I needed that help. The second way how you can make it work with a partner who has a different love language is by knowing their love language. Yeah. Two ways of knowing. One, you directly ask them, how do you like to be loved? How can I make you feel special? How can I tell you you mean the world to me? The second way is, let's say if they are not sure or if they don't know, because love language as a concept is also becoming more popular today, hmm. then there's always the idea of you noticing when I did this, did they have a smile on their face? When I did this, did they say thank you? Did they say, oh, I really needed this today? Did they say, I love you? Oh my God, you made me feel so special. Hmm. Then you also keep your eyes and ears open for those subtle and non-so-subtle signs. Hmm. The third, of course, there's a website. You can take a free quiz. Hmm. The ways to make it work is know what your love language is so that you can tell your partner, I see you love me in this way. But mm. I like to be loved in this way. The mm. second is you knowing their love language so that you can do more things for them. And the third is obviously understanding that me and my partner will not have the same love language. And that's absolutely okay. Mm. The idea is you try to be authentically yourself while allowing them to also be authentically themselves so that the relationship is of equals. So Shorya, if we had to look at let's say, the evolution of a relationship, right, from maybe falling in love and dating to getting married to parenthood, how do the challenges faced at each of these stages change? A lot of these challenges will come in with life stages. So as you very rightly pointed out, when you're dating, you're not thinking of the responsibility of a young individual like a child. At that time, half the time, you think I am the child. I need to be pampered. I need to be taken responsibility of. With marriage, probably you're living together, you're sharing finances, you have families and in-laws, you have maybe loans and debts, you have a social circle. With parenthood, it's very, very different because now you not just care about each other, but there's also a third or a fourth living being. Hmm. So a lot of these challenges that relationships face at different stages are very life stage related. Why I'm focusing on this so much is because we tend to, I'm going to say very lay person term, chicken out. Oh my God, I'm so scared. I don't know if this will work out. Is this okay? Is this meant for me? This person has changed. So one way of dealing with all of these different challenges is to tell yourself, this is a life challenge. This is a relationship challenge. Even if I were single or by myself or dating someone else or married to someone else, these life challenges would come in yeah. from your birth to your deathbed. Mm. So first is for us to normalize that at different stages, 
your relationship will look very different. Hmm. Second is to know that when you commit to someone, you're basically committing to 700 versions of them. And they are supposed to have those 700 versions. If I expect for you to be the same today as you were five years ago, then I'm, I'm, I'm the foolish one. You're supposed to change, mostly for the better. But of course, a life stage might mean that at some point you're a bit more stressed or a bit more upset. The third is communication. There needs to be a constant open communication that we were dating and now we're deciding to marry. What does this bring for us? So the three stages that you mentioned, I'll maybe give you a few examples. From the dating to marriage stage, a few major changes, if you've not been living together earlier, the first one is you start to live together, which means if you're if you are working and if you're working from home, you're with each other physically 24-7. Very different from dating if you're not living together. The second, even if you're not working from home, let's say even if you step out, you're still together maybe eight hours or 10 hours a day. So that physical constant environment of being around each other. And our moods are so different, right? You might be very chirpy in the morning and I might be very energetic in the evening. Hmm. Something as simple as that needs to be communicated. How is it going to be different when we live together? And there's so many other ways in which dating to marriage, these things will change. But communication helps. Asking a few questions from each other. A marriage to parenthood, something as simple as, and I've, and I've seen this with a lot of um, young couples that I work with who before a child, before planning for a baby, may not have spoken about this, but invariably, the mother starts to feel very, very isolated, very, very alone. I am up the whole night with the child while my spouse, most uh, commonly the husband, but irrespective of the gender, is sleeping and I am up all day, all night. These are also things that need to be communicated about while you are together and decide to have a child, married or not. What happens when you communicate through all life stages is one, you have very clear expectations. Mujhe aisa sahi lagta hai, mujhe ye chahiye. What do you like? What makes sense to you? So you can, in some ways, maybe um, my word will have more importance than yours or more precedence than yours. In some ways, we might come to a middle ground. This is a non-negotiable for me, Astha. So please, you know, maybe you want to compromise or understand here. This is a non-negotiable for Asta, so I'm going to be the one giving her that compassion. But this third thing, we can come to a middle ground. Hmm. So a lot of changes through the stages happen because of responsibility, happen because of uh, age, happen because of body changes, career changes, societal expectations, adding of responsibilities. But a lot of these can also be very well worked through with good communication and with a lot of trust for each other. You know, one thing I've observed is uh, in a lot of married women I see around me, um, initially, uh, they say things like, I enjoy being a homemaker. I'm loving motherhood. I don't want to be that career-oriented person. And then there's this phase where a few years into the marriage, they start feeling this, oh, my only identity for all these years has been, oh, I'm the wife of so-and-so and, -so, and uh, I'm not needed anymore. Oh no, I wasted my years, uh, all my youth years and you know, my friends killed it in life and things like that. And I see it really, really often where they go on a completely different trip in life where it's like they're making up for the years they lost out on. You'll see them going crazy partying, you'll see them like getting out with their single friends, you'll see them being very open to leaving the kid with them, the in-laws for like days and then just leading their best life as they call it. What is actually happening in that situation? Is there this loss of identity which has been building up but they're unaware of? Definitely can be. And loss of identity can also happen at any point in any relationship. Hmm. A lot of times we might think that I lost my identity while I was dating this person or married to this person for so long. But you can lose your identity even in a very short relationship. Even in a relationship where you're dating just for a few weeks or just for a few months. You can also lose your identity even um, in a relationship with your workplace. Now, loss of identity can stem from a very small thing to, I did not want to go to this party, but I still went. Hmm. 
the hmm. accumulation and the amalgamation of these very very small instances eventually looks like a big mountain hmm. a lot of loss of self identity can also happen i didn't want to be uh, home for the holidays but i was pressured into it i was forced into it i had no option and while i was there i went through so much um agony i had to listen to a lot of body shaming comments fat shaming comments people were talking about my career people were talking about my relationship and i couldn't do anything i couldn't say anything will lead to a loss of self identity so one thing that i want to really focus on is you can lose your self identity in any relationship and at any point however um especially with the example that you gave it can also happen sometimes that because um women and females are also known to be caregivers we sometimes give so much care to the rest of the world that we forget to fill in our own jar yeah and i say this so often but you cannot pour from an empty cup it's very very important to continuously cultivate a relationship with yourself nurture a relationship with yourself and keep giving to yourself in those very very small moments that you can think of giving to other people you look at any mother the a mother always looks like the most the strongest person in the room can fight all can fight all natural calamities can fight all people to just protect the child and provide for that child and sometimes all you need to preserve your self identity is to mother yourself and i'm going to be very um, blatant about this reparent yourself so this can happen with very small instances um i lost so many years of caring for someone else i forgot to care about myself the absolute best way to um keep reminding yourself that i matter i am enough i deserve it i need love is to ask yourself very small questions every now and then what do i like do i like being in this space am i feeling loved how can i care for myself which is my favorite color it goes down to something as simple as that mm. uh, and i talk about this scene very often uh, with julia roberts i think this was runaway bride where with every single person that she's dating she says i like the kind of eggs that you like whenever someone asks her how do you want your eggs how do you want your breakfast she said just mm. the way you like mm. and after dating a few people or being married to a few people one day she decides i want to know what kind of eggs do i like So she sits down with herself. I I don't remember it so clearly, but I think she tries all sorts of eggs, and then she says, "This is my favorite type of egg." Hmm. Small things lead to a very big change. Constantly question who you are, what you like, and preserve yourself. It's your duty. It's your responsibility. You know, when I think my mother's generation, I feel like they associate sacrifice uh, with selflessness, and they almost see. doing what you want as uh, not being a good parent or a good spouse so um is that actually something that happens because i've noticed it repeatedly in that generation where they feel ki are if i the more i live for other people and please them even at the cost of not doing what i want to do that is me being a good parent that is me being a good wife or a husband um is that very common you see with that generation definitely yes um but no it's not completely gone with millennials um either so that guilt that guilt uh, is there and it is very common as you rightly pointed out but we need to work through with it we need mm. to be um constantly evaluative of what's happening within us first and second we need to constantly set that boundary whenever you set a boundary that this is what i like this is what i'd rather do you will get a pushback but practice practicing constantly brings in that self confidence to build your identity and to say no and this you can do in a romantic relationship with your parents with your children at your workplace with your friends with your neighbors hmm. and your mother's generation would also probably say something like mera man nahi man raha hai अंदर से नहीं आ रहा है ऐसे कैसे करें हम राजी नहीं हो रहा है बट यू कैन केयर फॉर योर सेल्फ एंड ऑल्सो केयर फॉर दी अदर 
So I constantly say this. There's self-preservation and there's other consideration. And we can maintain the balance. It's not it's not like you care for some yourself, you won't care for another person. Yeah. That that rarely happens. Sorry, I, so I'm very close to my mom and uh, very often my mom has these heart-to-heart discussions where she's like, oh my God, you know, the divorces are, the divorce rate is up the roof and, you know, there's this perception that their generation has that our generation is just willing to walk out if even the smallest thing goes wrong, okay? And there's another school of thought where our generation would defend that as saying, no, you know, it's just that women today have become stronger and they know what they want and they know what they don't want and that what they're willing to walk out on. What is actually like, it's a very confusing space. Like, and the, there's another side which confuses me where I'm seeing couples stay in toxic marriages saying that, no, it's for the sake of our child. I don't want the child to see a broken home. Um, What is happening? Is it good? Is it not good? What's that one point where you decide that, okay, it's no longer worth working on this relationship and a divorce is the best solution for us. If I think of what you just mentioned, right? My mother says that my generation would walk out at the drop of a hat. If it's for a non-negotiable, if it's because of abuse, if it's because of violence, please walk out. And all mental health professionals like me would say the same thing. However, at the same time, Some negotiables can be worked out between couples with understanding of yourself, understanding of each other, understanding of the pattern and practicing those things very consciously. Because when you're married, you every single day make that choice. Hmm. I am married to this person. How is my day going to be like today? Hmm. How do we decide to show up with each other today? Hmm. That everyday choice Hmm. can sometimes be so hard that when every single day you feel the same thing and you've, um, I'm going to say, exhausted all your options, you're at that point that now holding on to the relationship is just becoming more hard and hurtful Hmm. for you Hmm. and or your partner and or the children, I think that's a good place to walk out. But if I go into the depth of this, I do not think that relationships now are better or worse because people are walking out because um, women are working and women are empowered and they're not really dependent and so they can walk out. Maybe that's one of the reasons, but a very important reason is also awareness. As you rightly pointed out, right? I know what I want and I know what I don't want. I know what I can put up with. I know what's my non-negotiable. And I'm not going to stay unhappy every single day because my mind, my heart, my soul just doesn't allow me to. Hmm. So thinking of relationships today, yes, they might be very different from the relationships of the last generation. But at the same time, if this awareness leads people to not be unhappy in a marriage, I think this awareness is worth it. Hmm. Always better to be um, single or partnered with an individual with whom you connect and are more compatible than to be in an unhealthy relationship or marriage. That's going to do more damage to you, your partner, your kids, your parents, and the society around, right? And about um, the divorce bit, I would again say that it really makes a lot of difference to use your resources. I am not sure if relationships 30 years back had these resources. A lot because of awareness, a lot because of finances, um, a lot because of technology. But today we have these resources and we know we can use them. Today we have counseling, we have coaching, we have books, we have resources, we have podcasts. We have so many ways of knowing what it means to be in a healthy relationship. We have so many self-reflection questions to ask ourselves. You know, children, I feel, um, I've seen a personal example where a couple stays together for the sake of uh, protecting the child, as they say. But children are very intelligent. They sense when their parents are not looking like they love each other, but are just staying in the same home. And what is a worse impact on the child's mental health? Is it if 
I'm sure either way there is an impact when the parents decide to separate and if the parents decide to stay together even if the marriage is not working out. Many years ago when I started working as a psychotherapist, I was so surprised because so many of my adult clients, so many of them walked in and said, I think I am the only one, but I wish my parents divorced. Wow. So many of them. And I want to tell each one of them, you know, no, you're not the only one. Because I'm getting to listen to this from so many people. And a lot of um, adults that I work with, especially the ones who are either dating or in a relationship or marriage, basically the ones who have some idea of a romantic relationship, they also understand what all was wrong in the marriages that they saw as a young child. And as we were discussing, parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, neighbors. And if so many people in my practice come and tell me, I wish my parents divorced, they even say, so I don't know what is right or wrong, but I know that this is happening. And I also agree with you, a child's mental health will be impacted either way. They constantly have to juggle between two houses. They have to juggle yeah. between two parenting styles. Yeah. There's a lot of um, isolation. There's a lot of confusion. The societal impact of that is also... Children at school have to constantly listen to where's your uh, mother, where's your uh, father, uh, did they not come to the parent-teacher meeting? Mm-hmm. Teachers constantly ask, uh, your homework is not complete, are you under uh, stress? And if it's only with the child, it's okay because I understand the teacher is trying to help. But if it's in a class full of 30 people, the child is going to also feel embarrassed about a separation or a divorce. On the other hand, the impact if you're in a toxic relationship is that the child does not know that there can be a happy relationship. And when I say happy, I again, I'm saying normal, neutral, healthy. Hmm. A child doesn't know that it's possible for two people to communicate Hmm. in a normal, healthy way. A child also doesn't know that conflict resolution is important. A child doesn't know how apology happens. A child doesn't know that conflicts are okay, but repair after conflict is important. The child starts to maybe develop some kind of fear, some kind of phobia. Another impact on mental health can be the child doesn't know how to be in their future relationship. Let's say the commitment um, fear is not there. Hmm. They are in a relationship, but that it happens in a very respectful way that we can Hmm. talk to each other. Because then in their head, it's normal. It's normal to be in a toxic relationship. It's normal to be in a toxic marriage. So impact is there either way. But toxic marriages or unhealthy relationships are not benefiting your child. I'm glad you spoke about commitment phobia in between because Mm -hmm. uh, that's something I want to speak about. I've seen that if someone has been let down in a relationship that tends to uh, translate into them becoming commitment phobics. One is we tend to think of men usually as commitment phobic. So is it really gender specific? And what are the potential reasons as to why a person is scared to make a commitment to someone in a relationship? So many reasons. But I'm going to first talk about the two that we did talk about. Yes, one can be the marriages that you've seen as a child. Second, as you rightly said, definitely past experiences. I was in a relationship for five years and it didn't work out. Now I don't want to be in a relationship ever again. Hmm. I've tried to date multiple people, but I don't think anyone understands me the way I would like to be understood. But a lot of other reasons can also be us fearing that we're going to lose our identity when we're with another person, you would listen to, especially millennials, but I think now also Gen Z, talk about, I want to build my career or I want to focus on my work because the minute I get married, now that takes a backseat. True and false. Yes, when you're married, your partner is a major part or your relationship rather is a very major part of your Um, whole being as an individual but it's not the only part of your life you will still continue or I hope you still continue to look after your health I hope you still meet friends sometimes and I hope that you still work towards building that dream career that you thought of 
and the fourth reason of a so-called commitment phobia is also um, peer pressure. Um, and because you said, you know, how we associate it with males and the men, a lot of times it's, are you to joruka gulam ho gaya? Tu to available nahi hai. You can't come because, oh, you're married. Hmm. So as a male or as a part of a, a friend group, hmm. so because I don't want to lose that part of myself or I don't want my peers to judge me. So commitment phobia happens because of a lot of reasons. And the male uh, female part of it, um, I think as on today, it's affecting all genders and all sexes very, very equally. The slight difference with the male still uh, rises because if I were to go back to Stone Age, um, the men were out hunting yeah, and the women were at home taking care of the kids and trying to provide. And every single night, the man could choose which woman does he want to come back to. So... That Stone Age, I'm not saying we're still in Stone Age, but we're still wired that way. I experienced this actually when I first came to know about the idea of open relationships. I read about it because I wanted to understand what it was about. It was something very alien to me and something that didn't sound like it aligned with my value system. But a lot of men uh, on these blogs would justify and say, hey, you know what? Men were never meant to be uh, monogamous by nature. So, I mean, you guys who are trying to be committed to each other are actually stupid because you're going against your own genetics. So I found it very amusing. And to be honest, I still don't know my opinion on it. But we spoke about commitment phobia. We spoke about people getting what, I, I mean, modern day, we call it FOMO, fear of missing out. You know, Are if I make this decision, I'll miss out on those things as well. Uh, I feel like a lot of the modern day words which are there in the online dating space as we see it today cuffing zombieing sunday night fever benching it was so new to me and i mean when i looked each and every one of these words up it gave me this feeling of is all of this stemming from a sense of am i missing out on the other stuff in life because everything has this underlying tone of not sticking to a choice or even if you make a choice you want the other choices to be open to you how can we understand this space and is it good or is it not good? Wow, I love the complexity of... Uh, it's so... I don't I'm, know where to begin this question, I know, very honestly. I know, because I feel um, I have like this sense of, you know, we're really digging deep into it now. Now we're yeah. like getting to, oh my God, this is happening. And um, very philosophical question. And it has so many layers and a lot of yeah. complexity and nuances. Um and I'm going to be super honest with you. I know these words because of my clients. <laughs> and there are times when my clients will tell me, uh, Sunday night fever ho tha, toh fir, uh, bola, aajau Tinder pe. And I said, okay, I that. But Sunday night fever for me was like, Monday ko office nahi jana hai. Ye kaun sa naya fever hai? Yeah, and yeah. then probably tell me, oh, you know, everyone's dating. When we go to parties, we're going as couples and I'm just feeling I'm by myself. Toh fir, Tinder pe date. Okay, sure. I get that now. Um, ghosting, yes, I've been very familiar with ghosting. Yeah. People be using that a lot. Yeah. Even something as simple as dating rust out. I had um, no idea last year about what dating rust out is. And then um, a female client said that I've dated so much, I've been rust out. Ho gaya hmm. And then I said, okay, and uh, let's talk of that rusting because I, I just took the English meaning and she said, don't you know that it's dating rust out and that's an actual term and everyone's talking about it. And I said, no, educate me. Let's talk about <laughs> it even more. Yeah. Also, isn't there an undertone of, is it escapism? Like this thing about Sunday night fever. Isn't this fear of just having to spend time alone? What's wrong in it? I'm going to say it's a mix of everything, Hasta. Um, it is a lot of self-awareness and cultivating that relationship with yourself. It is definitely, I don't want to be alone with my thoughts entertain me distract me and we would do this in different ways dating and mm. relationships is one we would probably go to gambling porn we'll go to all sorts of addictions we'll probably go to um uh, drugs we'll we, we'll do anything we'll do anything to escape hard realities and yes one reason can be this good or bad who's to say i don't know if we can today label whether this is good or bad, but I do know that this affects us. This affects individuals' mental health. This affects individuals' definitions of relationships. And this affects 
societies and countries as a whole. At the end of the day, Southeast Asian cult culture, we are very collectivist, right? So we wouldn't just care about ourselves. We're not as individualistic as the West. Obviously nice. now, um, I think we're also moving to individualism. They're moving to collectivism. All of these changes will probably happen every 50 years. But at the same time, when we do care about the world, we will want the world to be a bit more, I'm going to say disciplined. Hmm. And I'm going to say restricted. And I'm going to say following certain methods, which probably also led to institutions like marriage, institutions like commitment. So when you look at those um, people saying that we were always born for polygamy and uh, you, you're the one binding us uh, with just one person, it is because they do come from a certain thought process, which I'm not going to say is right or wrong. But at the same time, it's important for two people who are dating or in a relationship or married to have the same thought process and opinion about this. So I'm not going to classify this as a good or a bad. I'm going to say the person with whom you are, your thought process needs to match. Life goals, life values. How do I look at myself? How do I look at my relationship? That needs to match with whoever it is that you're dating or wanting to marry or are already married to. About millennials and Gen Z knowing what they want, um, yes and no. I think very often we are now allowing, in a good way, to change our mind. And that's also fine. But we need to do that with more awareness, more mindfulness. And as you rightly pointed out, not from a fear of something going wrong, not from a point of escapism. Is it safe to say that basically um, whatever your intentions are, be it casual, be it serious, are, is something that you should express to the person in front of you, whoever your partner is, in order to make sure that later it does not impact their mental health in a way that you don't expect it to? Yes. And be also prepared that despite you giving this information, disclaimer, mm. the other person's mental health might still be impacted. For example, there are so many cases and patients whom I work with who would tell me, this person told me that I don't want to um, be in a committed, exclusive, long-term relationship. Mm. I like being with you. I like dating you. And let's see where this goes. Mm. The people, uh, both the people dated for a while and for very obvious reasons, our human mind works that way. One person started getting attached to the other person. Now, this is the most common um, phenomena that's been happening at least in the last 20 years, if not more. Mm -hmm. when, the, when, when person B told person A, I'm, I think I'm in love with you, or I think I'm getting attached to you. I think I'd like for there to be a tag, or what do you feel? The first thing person A says, but I told you. Yeah, I told you I wanted a casual relationship. I told you I wasn't looking for anything. I told you it was an open relationship. Whose fault is it? Neither person's. But what happens? Both of them start blaming each other. Yeah. Person A will say, Maine to bataya tha. Person B will say, But mujhe to aisa ho gaya. Now what? Yeah. It's neither one of your faults. Our brains work that way. If you spend time with a lot of, uh, if you spend a lot of time with the person, or if you feel that you're getting attached, or if you're getting connected. Um, you're able to understand them, they get you, you will feel love for them in some way. You will feel some sort of attachment. Mm -hmm. But it's important then to take responsibility for each of your actions. Now, in this very common scenario, both people need to take that responsibility. The first person needs to say, I understand that you're attached. Mm -hmm. I understand that you might be feeling some sort of love. And mm -hmm. I appreciate that you value me. I like that um, I can be special to someone. I don't think I'm still ready for a commitment. The second person needs to say, I understand that you told me. I understand that you weren't looking for something back then and that stance hasn't changed. But because I am looking for something uh, more committed, I think it's time for me to move on. That's going to be ideally the most mature or the most healthy way to work this through. Hmm. Constantly call. 
now what do you feel Hmm. can you meet me can we do this can we do that we try to change each other's mind so much and so often and then when all our efforts go go down the drain and are futile then we start feeling anger hurt and disappointment towards ourselves and resentment towards the other person again going back to you know where we started off yeah. existential psychotherapy will mean you take a lot of responsibility for your actions and you know that you are free to make a choice so you also respect the other person's choice not just yeah. your thoughts you respect that this person isn't looking for something right now i am maybe i i i want to date a similar life value matching kind of a person it's making so much sense now the existential psychotherapy bit in relation to the relationships like i didn't know i mean the, the fact that you spoke about freedom and choices and the responsibility that you take actually it's it's really come together for me in this conversation because i'm realizing it's it's actually forget relationships i think in every decision of your life there's that part where you have to you know pay attention to the fact that look i'm responsible and i accept complete responsibility for the choice that i have taken with this but so we've spoken about married couples about children about open relationships casual dating the last thing i want to actually come to is being single because this mm-hmm. is something i experience very often where i'm happily single uh, for the last few years and i enjoy my own company and somehow 10 out of 10 people who talk to me try and convince me that there's something wrong or that um it is that i'm living in a bit of a bubble where some day after a few years it's going to hit me like a ton of bricks when i see everyone married and maybe that will happen i i really am not want to say that that's not going to happen to me but why is there this sense of people uh single people being made to feel abnormal for the fact that they are okay with being single hmm i'm so sorry that you go through that and 10 out of 10 people believe me no one <laughs> says hey so dude you're sorry. good <laughs> you're good man life is good but why why do i on behalf of single people who are super chill with being single why uh, why is this happening why is it happening i'm going to say one thing that maybe you can tell all the people who ask you to be in a relationship if i want to eat um an ice cream in 6 months from now hmm will i buy an ice cream and refrigerate it today or will i get it 6 months from now i'll get it 6 months from now absolutely i don't want an ice cream today i want it 6 months from now which means if it's going to hit me like a truck 5 years from now i'm going to think about it 5 years from now correct so being in a relationship or being married because Ten people ask you to, as we just discussed, does not make sense. Wanting a partner today, or desperately hunting for a partner today, because ten साल बाद क्या होगा? आपको आपका ही नहीं पता आपको दस साल बाद क्या लगेगा? You will be a different person, Asa, and you're supposed to be. We're not supposed to stay the same. Yeah. Which also means that your partner in ten years from now will also have a different. um layer of their personality to themselves which hmm. again may or may not match what you're looking for then so in the first case scenario where you are um, in a exclusive committed long term relationship or married you need to know that you need to be very open to the idea of you and your partner changing and working through each change but in the second scenario where let's say you're comfortable with your own company you're self aware you're mindful you're either single or you're casually dating or you don't want to date or you don't want to marry it's absolutely okay to not marry for the right reasons if you have your reasons to not marry or to not date stick by them live through your self identity and keep nurturing that relationship with yourself hmm. and maybe with some loved ones with some really close trusted ones feel free to share those reasons also hmm. you don't have to go about shouting at the top of your voice these are the reasons why i don't want to marry why can't you also keep them out shut but some <laughs> people like you said you're close to your mom you might want to share those with her you might already yeah. have hmm. with the other 10 people why do they force you i think this is a good question for your next get together why are you all after my life 
what is the reason what is the reason that you want me to be married what is the reason that you want me to be um, hanging out with a partner because maybe sunday night fever karke aise partner lekar aa sakti hu but you are not going to be happy about that and neither yeah. am i yeah you know it's so amusing i feel like i notice married couples sometimes envy the single people and i see a lot of single people who say yaar you know i i really wish i i also found that person and at the end of all of this like okay we're living in this crazy world of like so many types of dating so many stages in relationships but ultimately everyone is always looking at what they're missing out on and yeah. grass is greener on the other side or so, wherever you water it or wherever you water it yes <laughs> so definitely i think people need to learn where and how to water it when by it i actually mean starting with themselves definitely and there's also this constant reminder that we need to give ourselves to not rush we are all on our separate timelines you have no idea what another person is going through so allow them to be on their own timeline there are people who are um, you know doing new educational degrees at the age of 50 there are people who are changing their careers at the age of 40 there are people who are um, getting married really early because they feel they know and there are some people who are getting married maybe in their 50s it's all relative it needs to make sense to the person who's doing it and to the people who are getting impacted because of it hmm. and that's about it because the world will adjust if we keep doing things to show to the world then we're constantly not showing love respect and compassion to ourselves and that will translate into unhappy or unhealthy relationships all over because if you're doing it for the world then you're angry with the world yeah you made me do this i did yeah. this because you wanted me to it wasn't my choice mm-hmm. and ex- ex- exercise that choice as as adults we we need to do that this has been a very enriching conversation thank you so much and i really really enjoy your instagram posts because even if i'm not in a relationship i i read it and i learn so much about it's not just about romantic relationship i think i learn so much about my relationship with my parents and maybe how i can co- improve communication with them and so many i would really urge everyone who's listening to this episode to please check out the instagram page because i find a lot of value in what you're putting out there for people to just improve their relationship with themselves and all other interpersonal relationships but before i let you go i'm going to play a very quick game with you what 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 do you mean I want you to react to statements. So suppose someone told you this statement, what would your reaction be? And you can be as badass and savage as you want to be about this. Are you serious? You still believe in marriage? Uh I think allow people to believe in marriage. Okay. Allow people to believe either way. Okay. Um the best way for you to get over your breakup is to just go back into the whole dating scene. Oh no no way no please don't please 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 don't that doesn't help don't damage yourself or other people just take care take care of yourself first okay so rephrase the following sentence so very often i think what when we try to give bro advice or whatever we don't realize what we're actually saying and how there is a better way to say it so i'm going to give you a statement which i would like you to rephrase and so the next time maybe if but trying to catch ourselves about to say that to someone we can be more conscious of it so first mm-hmm. one is you're always so insecure it's because your ex was toxic what's what's the fear within you that's stopping you or allowing you to feel something and how can i help you here that's nice um obviously it wouldn't work out for you he was a bunch of red flags that you missed how are you feeling now how's the relationship ending impacting you how's the breakup making you feel are there things that you wish you could have said to them or um done for yourself differently okay i'm going to request you to correct the following statements so sometimes we tell ourselves things that are not good for us so the first one is i will never trust anyone again with my feelings i'm feeling disappointed with a few situations or incidents or a few relationships and i think i'm going to take a while before i start to rebuild my trust in people again but i'm going to allow myself all the healing and growth that it takes 
Okay. If I stay single, I'll obviously end up lonely. I want to stay single because I'm nurturing the relationship with myself right now. And whenever it is that my mind, body and soul allow me to date, I will happily change my mind. That's it. That's the game. Thank you so much. You gave really, really nice answers. And I hope people learn from this to uh, be a little more careful before we say things both to others as well as to ourselves. Yeah. I think relationships are really the foundation of uh, life in many ways, be it your parents, your siblings, your friends. Thank you so much. This has been a lovely episode. Thank you so much <laughs> for having Thank me. you. If you have made it to the end of this power-packed episode with Shorya Gehlawat, then thank you so much for your time. You can reach out to her on her Instagram handle at Therapy with Shorya or through her website, both of which are linked in the show description. So please go check it out. I'm also very, very happy to tell you that Slowdown with Asha has made it to number three in the health and fitness category of Apple Podcasts. Please go ahead and rate me on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts because it would really mean the world to me and it would help me to bring such amazing conversations to you. Here's wishing you all a very happy new year and I'll see you in the next year for yet another episode of Slow Down with Asha. Take care.